0: Hey everybody, this is Sean McVeigh and welcome to The Vet Med Mind. What is The Vet Med Mind? It's a podcast that we're doing here at Veterinary Growth Partners, celebrating success stories in veterinary medicine. I'm joined by Rachel Tashberg. You've certainly heard her speak or lecture at some of our conferences. So together and with other guests, we're going to explore in veterinary medicine, both current past and maybe even future uh, success stories. Michelle, thank you so much for being here. I'm just so excited to chat with you today. Thanks for having me. I've been really excited to uh, start this conversation. Yeah. And so, as you know, as a listener of our podcast, I am always so interested to learn more about how people just even end up in our industry. It's obviously a very unique field, very niche, if you will. So talk to me about why VetMed and how this was a calling for you. Well, like everybody else,
1: um, as a kid, that's where it started. Um, I grew up in a small town here in Arizona and I grew up with horses and chickens and ducks. And, um, I grew up with, I had pygmy goats. I showed them in 4-H and I just always had that love for animals and kind of start out with the farm animal stuff. That's kind of where I wanted to be. I'm like, I want to be a horse vet. And then it transferred. I want to massage horses for a living. And then Um, after high school, I went uh, to technical school and, um, got hired on at a corporate hospital that I was at for 10 years and learned a lot at of what I could do well, and then what I didn't want to be a part of. So that's kind of where it started.
0: Yeah. Okay. Now I have to unpack a couple of things a little bit. One, you can massage horses for a job. Can we just talk about that for one second? Um, yeah, I don't know the full details into it anymore. I just remember babysitting for my
1: neighbor and where I lived, everybody had property and everybody had horses. Uh-huh. And that's what she did like sports massage therapy. Oh, and and so I'm like, oh, I want to do that. And then I realized, nah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like I always wanted to be in the field, but I just didn't know exactly what
0: I just, I've never heard that one before. And it's amazing. I mean, and obviously of course we know of like physical therapy and stuff for for animals, but I just never thought of it as like massage, like a massage dentist. and that sounds like a very cool job. Um, but I think that you found a perfect path for you. Now, the other thing that I had to explore is this time in practice, right, where you sort of did some self-discovery, where you were like, "Oh, okay, maybe these are some things I like. Maybe these are things that I don't. Maybe these are my strengths. Maybe these aren't the areas that um, I want to focus my attention on." So, talk to me about about what that journey was like. What were some of the things that you sort of discovered? about yourself as somebody, you know, committed to this industry and and what you wanted out of a career?
1: Well, starting out, obviously as a tech, um, I always felt like I kind of had those leaderships. I I don't know if they were skills per se, but that's what I wanted to do. Um, just probably with the values that were instilled in in me, be a hard worker, be on time, just like the basics. Um, and so slowly as I started, I mean, I started in this field at 18, um, I got slowly promoted into different roles, you know, and when you're young, you think you know everything and you don't. (laughs) So um, I kind of learned basically how to to go just by figuring it out on my own, like with a lot of us. Back when I started in this 2005, um, didn't have a lot of resources, a lot of training, a lot of support. So I kind of just learned by falling and getting back up. Um, so my journey through the 10 years working for, in a corporate setting, um, I just kind of learned by calling HR, calling corporate, calling everywhere I went. Um, and then I just kind of fell off the wagon just with the culture I was in the setting I was in. Um, it just really wasn't a good environment. So I ended up leaving, took a break for a couple of years and it wasn't until I got back into private practice or started in private practices where I really, developed over the last five years. That's where I really started learning. And that was when I joined my current practice owner, Dr. Greenway. And we actually worked together at the corporate hospital. I remember when she got out of that school. Um, so she called me, is like, do you know anybody that needs a practice manager job? I'm like, Oh me, I do. (laughs) And so we started our journey five years together. She kind of fell into this business, into this practice. Um, the previous owner here, he unfortunately was one of the vets that took his own life. Mm-hmm. And so she kind of fell into this and she didn't know what she was doing either. So we've kind of taken this journey together. And then she told me about VGP,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I was like, what's that? And then we started going to these conferences and I've been obsessed ever since.
0: Yeah. So. And we love having you. Yeah. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I, I kind of understand that story. And and I think it is a very common one, and whether it's in a corporate practice or private practice where, kind of like you said, like it just, it, it, the burnout kind of took hold. Um, and it sounds like that, that was sort of your experience too. It just, it became too much to the point that like you left the industry that you love temporarily Um, so, you know, in looking back on that and now, you know, I know that emotional intelligence is such a big part of your life and it has kind of been game changing for you, you know, what were some of the things that, that maybe the signs that you might've missed or, you know, the lessons learned from that experience that changed the way you sort of have spent the last five years in practice? Um,
1: well, basically just learning from, the people who I worked for learning, just watching them and how they handled the team and how they treated the team. I knew that's not how I wanted to be. I knew that wasn't right. Um, the turnover rate, um, the lack of appreciation for the team, um, the lack of me being heard or me being felt like I was important or had an important role, um, that I wasn't replaceable. And those are the things that where I work now, that's all the opposite that's not true. People, yes, people are replaceable, but you also have to give them a chance and, and try to give them all the tools they need to be successful. Yeah. So I've learned that from EQ. Um, I just remember going to the first EQ conference and I was just like, went home blabbed to my husband for hours and he's so sick of hearing about eq like he's heard, he knows it in and out like he ended up doing a presentation for his own job about oh, EQ. Uh, he hears it so much so um dr greenway and i both kind of went with it but i really like have taken it to the next step and the best part for me is actually teaching it um I've got to the point where all my team members, they come to me a lot of times before they have a conversation because they're still nervous sometimes. And they're like, okay, I'm not gonna tell you who it's with, but this is what's going on. Am I doing this right? And it makes me feel so good.
0: Oh my God. I love that. That is incredible. Cause that's like the hardest step, you know? And especially when it comes to conflict, people are afraid and like, I get it. It's hard to have a confrontation with somebody, you know, even if your intentions are good, it's hard to predict what that other person will do and say. Um but I love that they're willing to have the conversation, but also respect and want your advice and support and you know, making sure that they're doing it the best yes. possible way and actually doing it, right? I mean, they're they are then going to that person. yeah and- so they they're probably
1: sick of it because every single team meeting I have in the last four years, I have a little segment of EQ. Uh-huh. on every single team meeting. So my, I always challenge them after each team meeting. So last month I said, okay, your challenge over the next week is you're going to have a feedback conversation with somebody or give somebody feedback. And they're like, oh, that's easy thinking positive feedback. And I'm like, of course, positive feedback's important, but no, that's easy. You're going to have either coaching or conflict conversation with somebody and you're going to, you know, it'll be fine like, and they were all like, Oh my gosh, everybody came to me afterwards. And was like, is this okay? Is this okay? So I'm like, until we learn to just have to get it, rip that bandaid off, it's just going to be difficult every time, but yeah. you no, know, we're working on it. So
0: yeah. And that's just it. Like it takes consistency and it takes practice and an understanding that we're not going to be perfect at it the first time. And I think that The veterinary industry often has a lot of type A individuals that like to do things right and check the boxes. And it can feel really uncomfortable when um, you're trying out something new, you know, especially as as heavy as potentially conflict can be. So I think that is incredible. Now, I'm curious about, you know, you talked a little bit about how you integrate emotional intelligence training into your staff meetings and that it's clearly an expectation of the culture of the practice. What kind of changes though, have you really seen just like a kind of big picture for your team? Yeah.
1: So when we started, um, we let go a lot of people. Mm. A lot of people we had to fire because they just didn't fit in. It wasn't working. We established these new, like, this is what we're going to do. Obviously, we have to work through it. I don't expect you to know it overnight, but this is the new policy regarding feedback. Um, I got a lot of pushback from those um, that weren't about it, and those are the people that are no longer here. Um, with that being said, a lot of new hires as we've grown and got, have you know new people have come in, Um the feedback I get from them is I have never worked at a hospital like this. I've never worked somewhere where the manager like actually handles this and conflicts handled and nobody's talking bad about each other. And don't get me wrong. We're not perfect. We have our struggles, but overall um, we just have made it clear. There's no tolerance for it.
0: I love that. Oh, Michelle, this is so great. It makes me so happy because I think that, everything you just talked about is one of the biggest stumbling blocks that people have after they come to our workshop. It, it is, it is definitely, uh, an incredible experience, right? And no, not everybody is going to hear it in the same way or be as moved by it as probably you and I were the first time that like, we kind of heard all this stuff and we're like, Oh my God, like, this is the answer, you know? Um, but I still think that one of those stumbling blocks, when you're, when you hear this and you talk about emotional intelligence and you learn about the impacts it can have on yourself, on your leadership ability, on the team, the productivity, like literally your bottom line. And then it's like, but how, how do I do this? Like, I'm not a counselor. I'm not an expert in this yet. And so I guess to kind of like go backwards a little bit more, what was like one of the first things that you did in order to implement after you learned about emotional intelligence? If you can remember.
1: I brought out my workbook from the workshop and I just sat in my office and pre- made a whole presentation like old school, like on giant whiteboard. And just broke it down. And I taught it. I just started teaching at first. Because I feel like if they don't understand it, then how could they do it? So I started with the basics. What's emotional intelligence? Um, and then I and then I had them do the, a self-assessment. Um, I actually went to another CE here locally that they, have, they had some self-assessments that I did. And then we started there. And then I'm like, what does this mean? So I kind of had them understand the why behind it. And then from there, we kind of trickled in into understanding how to actually have the conversations going into the actual conversations. But wow. I kind of taught what emotional intelligence was, the four domains. I mean, I played Jeopardy. I have a Jeopardy category <laughs> called EQ. like, And we yeah. reiterate this constantly because, yeah, if they don't understand the why behind it, then how can they even have those
0: conversations? Of course. And I mean, it also, it just... I I mean, the way you live your life, like, you know, this emotional intelligence isn't like a, oh, I'm just going to like choose to use this today. You know, like, let me just like pick this up and be like, I'm going to be emotionally intelligent today. And I'm not going to be emotionally intelligent. You know, sometimes that happens subconsciously and whatever, but you know, this is something that like, you can't, I say this to my sister all the time. Like, you can't unknow this, right? And again, like you said, not to say you're going to be perfect at it, but you'll recognize the missteps and you'll see the opportunities after the fact, or you'll think differently about how to approach a situation. You know, like that's the sort of stuff that you just can't unknow. Now, of course, like you said, there's going to be resistance. So let's like kind of talk about that. Cause I know that resistance and hearing like staff leaving can make anyone get uncomfortable. Suddenly we're all like, Ooh, well this makes me, un- I can't lose people. Even though we know that there's probably people on everyone's team who maybe doesn't need to be there anymore, but still we hold on to a lot of people because we're worried about what will happen to our team. If we lose somebody, even if they're detrimental to the culture. And so you decided to take that risk, right. To say we're doing this. Um, so I, what was that like? You know, I guess my, my question is, I know we, we usually prep everybody for what may happen, right. As you sort of bring sort of these sort of changes and expectations into practice, but was it uh different than you thought it might be? Were you surprised by some of the responses? Like how did you um, handle that? Honestly, I, I wasn't surprised with,
1: you know, once we had a lead, let certain people go because I'm, I try to really communicate with my team with one-on-ones constantly. Um, I knew what was going to happen happened. When you get rid of somebody who is not a right fit, the rest falls in place. The rest of the team is happy. So they're like, I'll work extra. I don't care. You took care of this toxic person. No big deal. I'm, I'm here for you. And that's what I think a lot of companies, not even just the vet industry, need to understand that is like having a cancer, like having cancer. If you don't get rid of that cancer, it's going to spread. And you'll, they'll find that if you take remove that, the rest of your team will be very appreciative and they'll show that by stepping up and working extra and they won't complain. Yeah. Bottom yeah. line. Bottom line.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, look, we are emotional creatures, right? Yeah, it, it makes sense that we should be emotionally fluent and understand not only what our emotions are, but how they impact us. And if every day you show up to work stressed and frustrated that this person who you don't like working with is on the schedule, and you immediately you look at who's going to be here today, and you're like, Oh God. What do we think? I mean, you know, like it's obvious that that's going to impact your performance, right? We've all been there. We've all been started (laughs) our day from a sort of low point of like, oh, today is going to be a day. And guess what? Today was a day, right? Because that's sort of how I mentally prepared myself. And when we start in those places, it's not surprising. And of course, all the research shows like. Productivity goes down, efficiency goes down, tardiness goes up, absenteeism goes up, turnover goes up, you know, your profit line goes down. Like it literally impacts the success of your business because your business is your, they're your people. And if we don't get a hold of this emotional component and, you know, from a leadership perspective, right. Take that ownership, then it's just going to fall apart. And you're going to wonder why every day is such a struggle, right? Exactly. And that might have been, you know, now in thinking about your time when you were struggling in corporate, you know, when you think about what your emotional state was like, you know, do you feel like you can now see that like, oh, I like the emotional component of. Oh, yes. Yes. Just just from being in that
1: setting, um, my drive was gone. So I know I know that I wasn't doing performing the way I should have at the end because I just gave up. And um, I didn't have the tools to help me change things. So yeah, I mean, and the way it ended up ended up being good. But, oh,
0: of course. Oh, of yeah. course. But, I mean, that's the yeah, but yeah. Those learning experiences, you know, it's true. It's easy to, of course, when you're in the moment or immediately when you leave those sort of situations, you know, we can look at it and feel victimized and like, oh, this happened to me. Like, I I can't believe I worked in a place like that. They treated me so bad. They did this, they did that. And I truly feel like, you know, through the emotional intelligence work that I did, because I too, after my last job, I took a long break before I started working at BGP because I needed to mentally and emotionally. Figure myself out again, because I had really, I had really lost myself. So that took a lot of time for me to do. And in that journey, that sort of self-discovery journey, which I had not really gone into up until that point, I think that, you know, the, the piece of it for me was also taking my own responsibility for what happened and just giving myself some grace, right. And saying, I did the best I could at the time and knowing what I know now is different. (laughs) And I wish I could go back and tell younger Rachel, like, get out of there. Don't (laughs) just don't, don't keep thinking this is something you can win. That was where I was. I was like, I, I'm not a quitter. Um, And that was sort of like a big thing for me. Yeah. And I can see that resonates with you too. And so, um, you know, it, it can be hard to look back at some of those times, but I really do feel like you said without those experiences, I would have never even got to this point, to a point where, you know, we're comfortable having conversations about feelings and encouraging (laughs) our team to. Um, And I have to ask, you know, it it sounds like obviously emotional intelligence is clearly a part of your recruiting process. So how do you work it in to make sure you are bringing on the right people the first time? So actually, most of my interview questions are the are
1: EQ base. So I actually printed off the ones from Ignite.
0: Um, and I
1: I out so many from each section and then I'm, I'm just very blunt and clear about what the expectations are. And, and I said, if you want to come somewhere where you have a good work environment, no burnout, all these things, this is the place. However, you also have to be a part of that. Um, I also, when I hire them do an emotional intelligence, um, assessment, on them as well. And what's interesting is, um, I have had a few that were, they still were, they they were well, they were done. The, the, The assessment was good, but those weaker areas definitely showed when they started. So I just knew that was like a focus when we start start them out and um just got them right in part of onboarding they have to do the the eq um and the osha all that stuff i use the vgp stuff um that's first week that's what they're doing they're we're working on that i just want to start them off on the right foot um you know it doesn't do any good to preach and then not actually follow through so that's the biggest part of it. And you can usually just from all the training I've had with the, the conferences, you can pretty much weed out those people in interviews mm-hmm. by their answers.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's just it. It's a matter of um, asking the right questions, like you said, and also just being patient. You know, I think a lot of times we work, we have a, uh, I mean, for like almost everything we do, there's this like sense of urgency, right? And so sometimes, yeah. you know, we we need to leave some space in the interview process. Um, let the question sit for a second, you know? Um, <laughs> I've been in interviews before, you know, when I had interviewed for jobs in the past, I remember somebody asked me a question and then would answer it. Like they'd be like, you know, so how do you feel about this? So for instance, and they would like give me their own answer, you know what I mean? And we have to be very cautious and make sure that we really give people space to, to, you know, showcase process, right. Showcase who they are really think of a good example, like a time that something has happened. Um, But I love that. And, and I love that you really do then like walk the talk and you're like, okay, we talked about emotional intelligence in your interview and we weren't joking. (laughs) Like here's your assessment and here's your training. Um, And I think that is just incredible. Now um what kind of long-term changes have you seen I, I obviously we talked a little bit about how people can now are, are slowly starting to feel more comfortable talking about feedback and confrontation. what other kind of shifts have you seen um, among the team? Um, well a specific person
1: my one of my very first lead techs um, she is like my mini me and she went with, she is right on board with me I she is one person I can fully trust if I'm not here. She can handle whatever conflict may be going on. She follows the process. If somebody comes to her saying, so-and-so did this to me, I'm not happy. She goes, okay, well, you need to go talk to them. Um, She has actually grown and developed so much just from all of this that she's because she's gone to all the conferences with us too she actually just got um invited to do the veterinary burnout certification program that she applied to and the actual the doctor who um runs the program reached out to her was so impressed with her because she talked about eq so that's one success story but overall um just from the beginning till now, because when we first started, I still had people coming to me. And one thing sticks out to me what that Sean said that I will never forget is about the monkey on your back. That is the one thing that stuck in my head. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is so how it feels. And I am constantly stressed out. That doesn't happen anymore. Nobody comes to me anymore complaining to me about other people. Yeah. Unless they're needing like some mediated conversation, but That alone has reduced my stress level and they're learning to communicate. So that's kind of the biggest shift. It started from coming to me with everything. And even the doctors, I've had those, the doctors, sometimes, sometimes can be a little bit harder to crack. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) And it's the same with them. I was like, they're like, so-and-so didn't do this. I go, go tell them, go tell them. It's just coach your, just coach them. And so that's been a little bit, probably a little bit more of a work in progress, but they're doing really good.
0: I love to hear that. And obviously, you know, burnout and compassion fatigue are such an issue in our industry. Are you feeling like, you know, the emotional component at work, you know, having learned so much about how to identify their emotions and manage them as a team, do you find that, you know, people are sh- struggling with burnout in your practice? Like, do you feel like this work has contributed to um, any any sort of success in that in that way?
1: Yeah, I've seen a huge difference. You know, Part of when we started this process, too, was not only having how the team change, but also Dr. Greenway and I as leaders, too, and trying to have that awareness of what they need. So um, some of those things where we close Saturdays, um, approving PTO, obviously, as long as it doesn't conflict with the hospital, but really recognizing what's going on with them as well so that they don't burn out and they don't get fatigued. So I think that was a big part of it too, was us changing our mindset to so where we were aware of what was going on with the team as well. Yeah.
0: You know, one of the books I just um recently sort of picked back up, I was doing a presentation about leadership styles and sort of resident versus leadership. And, you know, one of the the most successful leadership styles is the affiliative style, which is emotionally connecting with your with your coworkers, right? Like it it isn't, it is isn't always just about the numbers. Um, and it is important that you kind of perspective take and, and put yourself in their shoes and what do they need to stay happy while we can still meet the business needs, you know, where can those trade-offs happen? Um, so I really love that. Um, and I want to ask you a little bit about like another scenario. Um, and this is, this is actually an exercise that we do in our, uh, in our emotional intelligence workshops now that we just recently added in was, you know, the self-awareness of a team, right? So now sort of everyone has a sort of emotional intelligence individually that they're learning a lot about. Um, But then there's sort of this like team level of emotional intelligence and having like a self-aware team. And it sounds like you guys are really getting there, like you're doing all the work. And so, you know, when a stressful situation happens, like there's a last minute emergency or a hit by car or a block cat, do you see changes in your team, even in those sort of moments of how they can communicate with each other? you know, less sort of snapping at each other or something like that. Yes. In fact, one of my techs, um, she's not a lead. She's
1: she's hasn't even been in the field for a long time. We actually had emergency come in. She stepped right in. She's like, okay, guys, I've got this. You've got that, like just the take charge, the calm, the like, and then just the communication. I think when they understand the emotion part of it, they start communicating better. And I definitely noticed that. And- one other thing I forgot to mention that I also do every year kind of, so everybody understands, is I do a personality quiz every year. The same one, the animal one, the golden retriever, the lion. I do that every single year because I think one of the things that's a struggle when you start this is personality conflicts. And that's where the, the, that's where the actual conflicts come from, is just personality differences. You know, you've got people that are more outspoken and more that are more introverted. And so if they understand how each other's personalities are, then they kind of understand how um, to present themselves when they're talking to somebody. So I think that's a big part of it too.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and look, it takes a lot of work and commitment, but it sounds like your team and obviously you guys as a leadership team recognize that it's worth the effort, you know, and again, we're not necessarily going for perfection. Like we get it. Like, you know, we, we can't anticipate everything. And and of course, you know, we, we're all trying our best, but with all the education, all the support, all the reinforcement, you know, that the continuous conversation is what will continue to hold people accountable and want to do this. And, and again, when you're, when you're seeing the results, whether it be as a a full team in a performance or that personal change that you're like, wow, like, this used to make me really upset and this situation just happened and and I don't feel that way right now. Like I feel very in control over my emotions. That's not a little thing. And it's so cool. So I I love it because, you know, to me as uh, someone who's personally really changed, and it sounds like you've gone through that too, to be able to give this sort of gift to your team um, for just personal and professional growth is, is huge. So... Great job! So excited. It makes me so happy um, to know that this was something that really spoke to you that you were able to to implement and continuously prioritize. Uh, because we all know how easy it is to start something, and then the realities of the day to day just take hold. And so, I'm curious. You know, as a leader and someone who is doing sort of this, you know, personal journey of self growth and improvement. Is there someone who you look up to? Is there, um, you know, someone who's really inspired you throughout your career, um, or something that just keeps you personally motivated? Well, this is going to sound so cheesy, but
1: I feel like in the last five years is when I've really developed just from being here since I started at VGP. Um, this is not a sales pitch, but I'm just being honest. Um, listening to Sean at the conference, the very first time I ever heard him at the pathway planning one, um, he's like really inspired me. It's not so much what he says, it's how he speaks. He's very engaging. Um, it just really hit home. Every time I hear him, I just, I tune everything out. So like just all his stories and things he's gone through and then how he speaks uh, is just very inspiring to me. So I would love to someday I have to work on it, but I would love to someday teach and maybe speak, um, and teach people this. Cause I just, I don't know why it's not in every work across America. Like it should be everywhere. It's so amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that. And and I know you can do it because you already are doing it. What's always been so incredible about Sean is his authenticity and to call it like it is. And I, I do agree, you know, even I, I've now heard him speak, I mean, countless times. Right. Um, And there's always something in these workshops that, happens, you know, like uh, there's something new, uh, maybe I've heard him say it a thousand times, but today it landed in a different way. It ever landed before. Um, and, uh, and it's true. He, he really is a quite inspiring person. Um, so I know he'll love to hear that. Um, so I love that. And I am, I'm just so, I'm so excited that you've really just taken advantage of everything that, that you can get your hands on and that you're using it. And it makes me so happy. So hopefully you're coming to some of our future events this year because I'd love to see. That's, that's the goal. <laughs> amazing. amazing. So um, as we wrap up, I always like to do this sort of rapid fire questions. I just think it's so fun just to learn a little bit more about you. Um, so I'm going to ask you a few quick questions. Um, so first and foremost, what was the name of your first pet? I know you had a lot of pets. Um, yes. So <laughs> I guess
1: technically the first pet that was given to me as mine would be my Shetland pony ponytail. Oh, oh, ponytail! she was so mean, but I loved
0: her. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. What is your favorite kind of music? Um, I guess that really depends on my
1: mood. I like all kinds of music. I, I grew up with country, but I like eighties. I like rock. I like all of them. Usually when I go to the gym, I go to rock. I don't know. I, I like all of it. Right. It just depends on the mood I'm in.
0: Yeah. I heard somebody say it recently on the podcast. You like good music. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> all genres. You just like good music. Um, what is your number one guilty pleasure?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, potatoes. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> um, yeah. My husband hates the fact that I always have potatoes with every meal with something. I just love potatoes. They're just so good. I
0: totally agree with you. In in fry form, in beige form, in yes. any form. Yeah, I mean, how can you go wrong with a potato? Yeah, they're amazing. <laughs> um what is one thing on your bucket list? Um
1: I'd love to go somewhere that has clear water, like the Caribbean, mm. some, some somewhere like that. Mm. Anywhere like yes. that. I don't know where.
0: Something with clear water. Yeah, I love that. There it, it is something magical when you can like see the fishes and like your even your toes. Yeah. It's like yeah, super cool. Um, do you have a go-to airport or travel snack? Something that you're like getting ready for to to sit in a plane or a car for a while and you're like, This is this is what um, I need right now.
1: Yeah. Gardettos. Those are so good.
0: Gardettos. I don't know what those are.
1: They're like, they have pretzels and like the little brown rye bread, dried rye bread oh, thing. Oh,
0: yes, yes. Like, kind of like a Chex Mix. Yeah. Right? Like, that, Yes. That. Oh, I love that. Love it. We are not sponsored by either brand. <laughs> <laughs> but we should be. Um, amazing. What is your go-to karaoke song? Um, I don't do k- karaoke, but if I were to do
1: karaoke, I, I would say like a journey song. Cause who doesn't mm. like the journey
0: and it's a crowd pleaser for yes. sure. You would have everyone singing along with you. Okay. And last but not least, if you could go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice, what would it be? Um, get yourself a
1: mentor or some kind of coach or some sort of resource to support you. I mean, now we have CGP. We have, um, I'm on a lot of online practice manager groups, just something, especially as a new manager, that backup, that support to help you through, through hard times. Cause even now we need it. Even doing this mm-hmm. for while. You,
0: you always need that help. Yeah. I love that. And I couldn't agree more. I, I probably would have told myself a similar thing. Um, I think it's, uh, it's easy to want to try to do it all on your own, and you don't have to, and there's someone there who can help. Um, and even if it is just to commiserate, you know, so, uh, you know, to, to let someone else be there with you through something is so great. So I'm so glad that you have that now. And hopefully to all of our listeners, they take your advice, um, and they find someone who can help, you know, you don't have to do it alone. Exactly. So Michelle, I am so glad that you came on this podcast. I can't wait for everyone to hear this episode. I loved just getting to know you more and just hearing more about how emotional intelligence has clearly changed your life, the people in your team, the practice overall. Um, So thank you so much for sharing your story. And uh, I hope to see you soon at our next event. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks everyone. Sean here. Can you believe we're already halfway through the second season of the Vet Med Mind? If you know of anyone who is a veterinary success story, please send them our way. We would love to have them on the podcast and share their story with this amazing community to continue to inspire and discover what is in the Vet Med Mind. Till next time folks, have a great day.